Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. In this fourth of a seven-part series, Dorje Lopan Dr. Han Lai teaches about the bardo, or intermediate state between death and birth, through an exploration of Padmasambhava's root verses of the six bardos. This text is part of the great liberation upon hearing, revealed by Karma Lingpa, often known in the West as the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, TibetanSpirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person, or look us up online at UdharmaNC.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so this second bardo uh, is called the bardo of dreaming. So, so not only, right, is it an in-between, this life is in-between last life and next life, or in-between birth and death, and, or dying. And this is the first bardo. Then within this first bardo, there are two types of experiences that are considered to be significant. Significant for what? Significant for the purposes of training. Significant for the purposes of meditating. And so, two. <coughs> two especially. <coughs> so these are the two. Second and the third bardos. So the second bardo is the bardo of dreaming. So according to this tradition, uh, you can train not only when you're awake, but you can also train when you are sleeping. And specifically, dreaming. Specifically, when you're dreaming. So here it says, Kema, now as the border of dreaming dawns upon me, I will give up the corpse-like careless sleep of ignorance and instead rest in the natural state of undistracted presence. By capturing the dreams, I will train in magical transformations and luminosity. Instead of sleeping like an animal, I will treasure the practice of mingling luminosity with deep sleep. Instead of sleeping like an animal, which is how most of us sleep. (laughs) All of us sleep at all times like an animal. Which is the corpse light. The corpse-like, careless sleep of ignorance. So sleep is a, is a good uh, kind of example of, you know, uh, ignorance. We've lost consciousness. And when consciousness arises again, it arises in the form of dreams. And right now, mostly, we have absolutely no control over dreams. And in dreams, you can find yourself doing all kinds of fantastical things. In dreams, very typical, you are suddenly wearing something that you've never worn before. And one moment you're eating ice cream, another moment you're having a fight with someone. Right? It just goes from one to another, one to another. And they say that how you experience your dream is a good example of 
how you will experience the fifth and the sixth bardo. The fifth and sixth bardo, what we normally call the zhong ying shen, that, if you want to know what that is like, look at how your dreams are. Yes? When your dreams, it has the same quality, except that, much more intense in Bardo 5 and 6, in the time when you die and you're not born in the next life yet. It will have the same quality, but a lot stronger, a lot more intense for Bardo 5 and 6. So the practices that uh, they give for training in the second Bardo is to train so that when Bardo 5 and 6 happens, you have control. You know what to do. So one of the things is what people call lucid dreaming. Clear dreaming. And lucid dreaming, actually not just Buddhist, even non-Buddhist traditions, they have lucid dreaming. You can buy all kinds of books that teach you how to be uh, aware in your dreams. All kinds of New Age books also have that. They're taking these techniques so that when you are in a dream, first of all, you're aware. You say, I'm in a dream. And then you can direct your dreams. Like control your dreams. They also say, in this, you know, Bardo teachings, they also say, if you want to know how much control you have when you enter the fifth and the sixth bardo. Look at how much control you have as you are falling asleep. Every night when we fall asleep, it's actually a mini death. It's a mini death. But we don't normally think of it that way. But if you start training when you go to sleep and say, now, I'm experiencing a mini-death. You will see that the way your consciousness uh, fades, yeah, it fades in stages. It fades in stages. <clears throat> so the first stage uh, is generally uh, your senses. Hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching. That begins to dissolve. Your senses don't work so sharp, so clear. So you lose that. Then, uh, there is an experience of heaviness. Your body. They say that is the earth element dissolving. Earth element dissolving. Then they say after that, Earth will dissolve into water. So mouth is dry. But then at death, it's a lot stronger. And also at death, the body is a lot heavier. They say you even experience like uh, mountains like pressing on you. Uh, so, you know, someone at that active stage of dying, uh, might kind of struggle to try to get up 
It's because they're feeling that it's like a mountain pressing down. Then, so water, then earth dissolves into water, water dissolves into fire. When water dissolves into fire, that's the uh, kind of dry. It dissolves into fire. Fire then dissolves, uh, as fire dissolves into wind, then um, heat, losing sense of heat, warmth. And then when that dissolves into wind, uh, movement is not possible. Then wind dissolves into consciousness, and then consciousness starts dissolving. In consciousness, there's not only just one thing. There are many, many types of consciousness. Many, many types of minds. And these types of minds are divided into three groups. Predominantly related to anger. Predominantly, predominantly related to attachment. Predominantly related to ignorance. The three poisons. So all these minds, predominantly related to anger, dissolves into desire. Desire dissolves into ignorance. Ignorance dissolves until completely gone. In that moment, in a smaller, uh, kind of uh, less intense experience, that's sleep. So we blank. We blank out. Then, after some time, after some, some time of in this blank state, then dreams begin to arise. That's exactly the same as the death process. The process of dying. The fourth bardo also occurs in this way, but much more intense. So they say, uh, if you want to know how much control you will have at the time of death, you have to know when you fall asleep right before you lose your consciousness, are you inhaling or exhaling? <laughs> hmm? Is it a moment of inhaling or exhaling? If you are able to do that, then you're in a good shape. If you're not able to do that, then we say, <laughs> Just chant your Amitabha and hope for the best. <laughs> Uh, if no chance to become great yogi, then just turn Amitabha and hope for the best. <laughs> but here, you know, this this uh, bardo of dreaming. Yeah. So here it says, instead, you know, of in this careless sleep of ignorance, uh, instead of that, you rest in the natural state of undistracted presence. Uh, that's the recognition I was talking about. Whether the mind is moving or not moving, uh, there has to be awareness or presence. It, it's, it calls it here. 
That means present mind. Right? Present mind. The mind that is not over there, not back there, present. Present. So here, undistracted presence. Distraction is our problem. So earlier on, I talked about distractions like, you know, entertainment, this, that, you know. These are external distraction. But the real distraction is the inner distraction. That means the opposite of mindfulness. Again, people use mindfulness in many ways these days. There are all kinds of mindfulness meditation. Here, mindfulness is talking about undistracted presence. Undistracted presence. The mind is present right here now. It's not going off into something else. So you let, you learn, you train to just rest in this presence. But before you can rest, it requires training. First, you have to quiet the mind. That's shamatha. Then you train in vipassana for insight to arise, to understand that whether still or move, whether stillness or movement, they're all just mind. If you have that clear insight, that's vipassana in this context. Then when you have both those, samatha samatha vipassana, right? Then you can just rest in undistracted presence. So the word rest is used. That means no more effort. You just rest. You just stay in that state. Then when you are able to stay in that state, then you can do the next line. By capturing the dreams, I will train in magical transformations and luminosity. What that line is talking about is that once you are able to let your presence of mind, your mindfulness, to just rest yeah, in the constant present, right? Constantly present, that you can rest in that, then you will have the ability to capture your dreams. So here, there are these techniques. Of course, you have to properly be guided by a teacher. There are these techniques where you actively use your dreams. And it says, I will train in magical transformations and luminosity. What that means is, I'll give you some examples of how they train. They say that you can train to use your dream state and say, now I want to go to the pure land of Amitabha and make offerings there. Then through your dream, you go. Now, you're going to say, are you truly going or not? Well, is this true or not? Is this true or not? 
If this is true, then yes, you're truly going to Amitabha's pure land. If this is not true, then no, it's not truly going to Amitabha's pure land. No difference. There's one great story. <coughs> this is not about so much pure land. This is about um, um, uh, not so much pure land, uh, but more about uh, there's a question. Uh, some Americans, I think, some Westerners, asked their teacher uh, this one Tibetan uh, Rinpoche said that uh, sometimes you talk about the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas like Tara, Cherezi, Avalokiteshvara, Guanyin, Manjushri. Sometimes you talk about them as if they are real. You say you pray to them, you ask them to guide you, you ask them to bless you. Then sometimes you talk about Tara as if she's not real. You say, oh, Tara is your own compassion. Tara is your compassionate activities. So, is Tara real or not real? Students said, can you just tell us, like directly, is Tara real or not real? So the teacher thought about it. The teacher said, yes. When you pray to Tara, Tara is real. But Tara is real because she knows she is not real. When you pray to Tara, she's real. But why she is real is because she knows she is not real. So likewise, going to the Pure Land, is it real or not real? Yes, it's real. Amitabha's Pure Land is real. But why is it real? Because Amitabha knows it's not real. (laughs) Therefore, it's real. You want to understand this a little bit more? Study the Diamond Sutra. Yeah, analyze the Jinghang Jing. Then you understand why. So, likewise, here, you train in your dream. This magical transformation, they say, you can go to Tara's pure land, you can go to Guru Rinpoche's pure land, you can go to Amitabha's pure land, make offerings, receive teachings. And during all of this, you also train in luminosity. So this is the radiance that we're talking about, or luminosity. Understand that all these activities of going here, going there, all of that is simply the ability of the mind to be radiant, to be clear. It's the activity of the mind to have thoughts. Again, when there is no recognition, when there's no realization, then thoughts are samsara. When there is realization, then thoughts can be going to Buddha lands. 
Yeah, they say by doing that, you can accumulate a lot of merit in your dream state. Right now, our dreams, we are squandering merit and creating demerit most of the time. Spending all our good merits in dreams. That's when you have good dreams. Oh, so nice. <laughs> that means you're wasting all your merit away. Then sometimes even worse, doing other things that we won't talk about, creating <laughs> negative karma in dreams. <laughs> but through this, they say you can use dream to accumulate a positive karma. And so I will treasure the practice of mingling luminosity with deep sleep. There is talking about there's another stage of your sleep where there's no dreams. That's the deep sleep. That's the deep sleep. And during that time, if you can mingle that with luminosity, like even within the dreamless state, you recognize the radiance of the mind. So now the mind is not actively doing things in the dream, but it's not without radiance. Meaning, the mind is never just empty. The mind is always radiant. The radiance can go into magical transformation, going to Pure Lands, yeah, or going to Queen's Bay, depending on what kind of dream you have. <laughs> But with or without going anywhere, even when it seems empty, yeah, yeah the deep sleep, you can still recognize the luminosity, the clarity of the mind. And that's the second bardo. That's using dream as a way of training. If you're curious, they, uh, the first step, uh, there are simple kind of practices uh, that they say that you can f train your mind, which is um, one is to focus uh, on your heart, your heart center, as you fall asleep. Let your awareness come to the heart. Kind of focus it in your heart center. And heart is not the, the organ heart, the solar plexus here. So if you bring your mind there and let it rest there, then be aware of like that part of the body and fall asleep that way. Then they say that your sleep will be clearer. Uh, reasons why there are also ascetic practices of not lying down they sit by sitting that's also to have a clearer type of sleep so you can train in that way of course there are more specific uh, techniques and practices for training uh, using dream dream yoga uh, of course you know we like oh i like that <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit silly, yeah, because uh, if you like that too much, 
say, oh, I want to do dream yoga. But when I tell you to meditate, you fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, if you cannot stay awake while you are awake, then it's very hard to be awake when you're asleep. <laughs> yeah, if you cannot stay awake when you're awake, then it's very hard to be awake when you're asleep. <laughs> So there is a, a sequence, yeah? there is a, a, a kind of like, so the, the main training is still in the first bardo. Because at that kind of bardo, we have the most control. And we have the most control. And if in the case where we have most control, we still don't have much control, then... <laughs> <laughs> Then dreams take even less control. But of course, the third bar though, so this is not like increasingly difficult. No, it's not actually set up that way. The third bar though, the bar of meditation, there uh, is also. So if the first bar though is more like day-to-day -day life, the third bar though is more specific about meditation training. That's the third bar. Um, so right now, easiest for us to practice is the first and the third bar. Then when we have skill uh, from first training and first and third bar, then we can train in the second bar. Then when we do well in second bar, yeah, then yeah, the fourth the bardo of dying, then it will not be such a problem. Uh, but these training in the bardo is not the only way of training. So there is also uh, like the practice of uh, transference of consciousness, poa, which is one of the chapters in this larger text. So that is a slightly different approach. Then also there's the approach of the Pure Land Way. There's another approach. I think all these are different methods. It depends on each individual. If you are a very devotional type, yeah, if devotion for you is easy, then the Pure Land Way yeah, might be the most suitable. Or Poa. Poa also needs a lot of devotion. Uh, but if you are a little bit dry, not much devotion, <laughs> then, you know, mm, this kind of meditation is important. Any questions? <laughs> Looks like we have four more for the next time. <laughs> Sitting too many hours in the plane. <laughs> Old age as well.
questions? <laughs> Discussion. Over there. <laughs> yes, Margaret. What is your question? No questions <laughs> Don't want to ask a no question. <laughs> Don't wait until Gutabed and ask questions, cannot answer. So, since uh, Jasper mentioned uh, the other programs, uh, basically the four uh, sessions in Tanxiang on Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday. Uh, they are actually on the seven-point mind training, uh, Lojong, seven-point Lojong. Uh, then the Butterworth Center, I'm doing the same program, but in a more condensed way, uh, because it's translated as well, so half the time only in the Butterworth Center. Uh, the seven-point Lojong on mind training, uh, the Lojong tradition in Tibetan tradition, um, It's a, it's a tradition that I feel, and of course not just me saying it, but it's said to be a tradition where it's, it's particularly uh, useful uh, for people who don't have a lot of time to meditate. <laughs> yeah, that means all of you. <laughs> In the sense that it's not saying that, you know, without meditating you can be Buddha. What it's saying is that these teachings have to do with uh, changing your attitude. So by, by changing our attitude a little bit, uh, our experience of the world changes. So ultimately, to become Buddha, we still have to engage in directly changing the mind. And that requires a lot of very intensive training. But most of us, you know, that's not our karma in this lifetime. Yeah? <coughs> then you say, well, what should I do? Uh, personally, I believe the Lojong tradition is very effective. Uh, it, it, it uses... Uh, ways of thinking, ways of reasoning, ways of facing everyday situations. So there is no mantras to chant, no rituals to do, also no intensive meditation to do. <laughs> but not very exotic. Bopahipin. <laughs> so not very exotic either. Uh, but really very helpful and practical. Uh, I have found that, I don't know, maybe each situation is different. Uh, like recently I was uh, at a group in the US where um, it's at a Buddhist center where they have many different traditions. They share one space. 
So there are people practicing. The biggest group there is the Thich Nhat Hanh group, and then there is like uh, different types of Tibetan Buddhist groups. There's a Vipassana group. It's all these different groups. So they asked me to go and do a weekend program. So I, I chose the Lojong program, and many of them have done a lot of meditation, and many hours of retreat, and all of that. Americans are very good when they decide that they're going to practice. They take it very seriously. Um, but it was nice to see that um, for that program, uh, people from all these groups came, which is not usual. Usually, when they invite someone, uh, they told me this. I have no idea. Uh, it tends to be whichever group is inviting, only their people will go, and one and two from the other groups. But in this case, it seems like all the different groups came. And uh, and many of them found this lojong mind training to be very helpful to their own practice uh, because it's about changing your the way you look at things, about changing your attitude. Uh, normally, I do the lojong in eight verses, uh, but this time I'm going to do lojong in seven points. Uh, seven points actually longer than eight verses. <laughs> yes, eight verses is just verses, but the points, you know, had many sub points. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, you know, exactly. It's like you know, one, one point one, one two, one point one, one three. <laughs> the whole outline is this, but they're all uh, very short. We call them slogans, uh, lojong slogans for training the mind. What is Lojong in English? Uh, mind training. Mind, mind, mind training. training. Yeah. So how to spell Lojong? L-O-J-O-N-G. Yeah, Lojong. Xing Yang. Xiu Xing. Xiu Xing Qi Yang. Xiu Xing Qi Yang. So Xiu Xing is the translation for Lojong. Yeah. Yeah, so that will be the four uh, programs. Yeah, four days in Tanxia. Will be in English, no translations. Seven thirty to nine thirty. I tried there early because the traffic over Tanxia area is horrible. I say it's easier when I teach like in South America because I have a translator to Spanish. So I don't really need to know what I'm saying. It's just a, the translator needs to know what I'm saying, yeah. that's all. <laughs> <laughs> then if I don't need translation, then got to work harder. You know? <laughs> but if you have a translator, then if people like what they hear, then they say, oh, you're really good. If people don't like, then they say the translator is very bad. <laughs> so,
So at the end, of, as always, uh, we say that we dedicate, you know, it's important to dedicate merit that has been created. Uh, there are many ways of dedicating, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, so not all dedications are the same. Uh, most of the time we dedicate uh, our merit to improving samsara. Make samsara nicer, please. <laughs> Make samsara more comfortable, please. <laughs> yeah? But that, right, is just kind of silly. That's like squandering away your wealth to improve samsara. Samsara cannot be improved. No way to improve samsara. Yeah, improving samsara is basically hiring an interior decorator for your prison cell. <laughs> yeah, it's better to dedicate your resources to getting out of jail. Of course, if you're in jail, no need to make it more miserable. But don't spend your resources improving your jail cell. <laughs> so you should dedicate it for a higher purpose. And dedicate it to Bribing uh, official. Huh? Bribing official. Yeah, bribing official, right. That'll be the Chinese style. <laughs> bribing, you know, or the officials of uh, uh, hell to get out, jailbreak, right? Yeah. Yeah, could have happened, you know. Bribe them. Corruption. Um, but here, uh, we want to dedicate, uh, we say, uh, merit to uh, the freedom from confusion of all beings and then the freedom of suffering of all beings. So that is like, so whatever merit we create uh, is like a little spoonful of water that we have obtained. Now if you walk around trying to protect your spoonful of water, it's very easy to lose it. You're bound to lose it. So instead of doing that, you put it in the bank. You put it in the reservoir. Then your spoonful of water is always going to be there. Whenever you need it, you can always take it. But this bank that you're putting your merit in, it's not a personal account. It's a universal joint account. Yeah? So you cannot say, you know, this is only mine. Yeah? It's a universal joint account. So you put it in there. So also no need to say, oh, but I want to give to this, 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 and that person. No, 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 no. Then you are opening a personal account. Not the joint universal account. And if you open personal account, then there is a limit to how much you can withdraw. <laughs> But if you put it in the universal account, there's no limit to how much you can withdraw when you need it. You see? So it's the intelligent thing to do. Put it in the universal account, which is the account that benefits all. Then, however much you need, you can draw from it. Yeah? Only if you sincerely say, I give it all up. 
then whenever you need it, you can draw from it. Also, a lot of times we think, we say, oh, I dedicate this merit for the enlightenment of all beings. And then we often think, oh, I'm doing this for all beings. But actually, you should also understand, when you become Buddha, you become Buddha because other people dedicated merit to you as well. That is through the dedication that others have done that you have been able to arrive at the state of being Buddha. So it's not just you putting in. So that's the real meaning of dedicating. So once you have that meaning in your heart, right? then the other important thing for merit to be truly dedicated is there needs to be joy. When you have done it, you need to feel, ah, that was very good. If you don't have joy, it doesn't produce any merit. So dedicating merit also needs to have joy. And say, that was a good thing I just did. You have to think like that. Too much emphasis on reciting words and chanting. That's just outer ritual. The heart has to feel the dedicating of merit and the joy of dedicating merit. And the joy is understanding and thinking that, you know, this is such a wonderful benefit for all. And whenever I need it, you know, it will always be there for me. So you have no fear letting go. So we will dedicate merit this way. No need to say anything, just kind of tune you know, that feeling, get in tune with that feeling of sharing this for the benefit of all, and then feel the joy of that, just for a few moments. Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.